Well, we are, um, we are, have been in the book of Luke together, and I've just so um, enjoyed walking through Luke together as a community. I think one of my favorite things has just been looking at the life of Jesus so directly, like actually interacting with Jesus, seeing how he, um, how he ministered, how he led people, how he loved people, not just talking about Jesus, but, but looking at his life and, and seeing what it means to follow him. And we've been talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be disciples of Jesus, this thing that is so central to our faith? And this week, we are talking about that very thing. We're talking about this idea of faith. Um, And I think, you know, there doesn't have to be any faith unless there's opposition. And so I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you feel like you are just walking uphill. I'm from Michigan, and the worst thing ever is trying to climb a sand dune in the hot summer because you just feel like every time you put your foot in the sand, you don't make any ground, and you're just kind of trudging through uphill. I don't know if you feel like you're in a situation where you just feel stuck. The obstacle in front of you is just too far to move through. It's overwhelming. You're not sure how to get over it. I don't know if you're in a situation where you feel so many barriers to where you want to be and where you should be, where you are now and where you need to be. But the story that we get to that we get to read this morning out of Luke is this idea of what does it mean to move through opposition towards Jesus? And and how does that look like faith? What does that have to do with faith? So we're going to turn to Luke 5 verses 17 through 26. I'm going to give you a minute to get there. We've been practicing using our Bibles. I got so many accessories on this stage. I feel like Leonard and Steve travel so light, and I've still got a lot going on here. So bear, bear with me, bear with me. So here we go. Luke, let's see, Luke 5, verse 17 through 26. And I'm going to read it for us as we, we're going to read the whole story together. So on one of those days, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. We have seen extraordinary things. 
Now, I just want to unpack this for a second. Um, I just want to, I want us to get into the scene of what's happening here in the story. So Jesus has been teaching and preaching. He's begun his ministry and the word of Jesus has spread. And so wherever Jesus is, there are crowds of people. There are people who want to come and who want to be at the feet of Jesus. And they don't know what he might do. He may heal, he may free, he may release. And so there are people who are traveling to hear Jesus and also to, to be healed by him. And so we have all of these people who've come from many places gathering, gathering at, for the hopes of being close to Jesus. But when they get there, whatever gathering place this was, Jesus seems to be inside some sort of structure. And there was just such a large crowd that there were people who were in and there were people who were out. And, and the people who were in were close to Jesus and the people who were out had no way to get to him. And I think the first thing I see in this story is just, especially when I'm thinking about this man who was paralyzed, who dealt with this physical disability, is all of the opposition it was to get to Jesus. I mean, for him, this story was full of barriers. There was just the physical barrier of the amount of people, the crowd, um, just the fact that there were people who were fit in this place and there are people who didn't fit inside. And he was left on the outside. There were also cultural barriers. If you notice in the story, I mean, besides these, these friends, maybe three or four men who were with this man, there are not a lot of people stopping to try and help this man get to Jesus. There are not a lot of people saying, oh, hey, how can we help you get in? Or let's all move over and make a pathway through. Or let's do that. That wasn't happening. You see, as a man who struggled with being paralyzed, he was seen as an outcast. He was marginalized. He was lowly. He was messy. They, no, people would have walked by him and not given it a second thought. Kind of like, it's up to you to change your situation. We've got other stuff to do. Jesus is here. we got to get to Jesus. If you can't make it, that's on you. And then there was also the barrier almost of, of religion, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But if you'll notice, there's something in this story having to do with the religious leaders of the time. So the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders of the law. And where were they? Well, they had a front row seat to Jesus. They had a front row seat to Jesus. And the man who needed Jesus was on the out. So there were these physical barriers, these cultural barriers, and these religious barriers, and there's so much opposition. But what, what happened? The friends and the man, well, they made a way to get to Jesus. They participated in this journey towards Jesus. They did this unlikely thing. They totally thought outside of the box, and they did this thing that probably wasn't acceptable, probably wasn't expected, probably nobody was even thinking of. But they moved that man to the top of the building, tore down those tiles, and they lowered him right in front of the feet of Jesus. That's what they did. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, that's faith. That's faith. You see, faith is active. Faith is a participation. And this man, no matter what his opposition or his barriers were, he participated to the greatest degree he could to getting to Jesus. The friends, no matter what barriers there were, they participated to the greatest degree they could to get to Jesus. Their faith is active, even in the midst of opposition. And I just think about how risky it was for this man, for all of what he was to be on display, to do something unlikely or unacceptable. 
I think about what risk it was for the friends. Is this even going to work? Is it going to get worse? How are we going to figure this out? And I just wonder when we think about our own barriers, our own opposition, what are we willing to risk? Where are we willing to be vulnerable? What are we willing to believe for? What are we willing to move through to get to Jesus? And I think sometimes, and I do this too, I can be a slow mover. That's just how I am. Um, In decision-making, I overthink, I overanalyze, I consider all the options. You know, I can just be kind of an overthinker in that way. And I think in my own life, and I think as I I look back on just our, our walk with Jesus, I think sometimes we can say something is waiting when it's really avoidance. I think we can say, now there are times that God asks us to wait, and I'm not... I'm not like backtracking the Lord on, on his uh, ask to you to wait. There are moments when it is your job to wait on him. But I think sometimes because of shame or fear or being overwhelmed or uncertainty, man, we, we stay further from Jesus because we're avoiding. But yeah, we're, we're just calling it waiting. I've been working through in my own life this idea of unfinished business. I think we all have unfinished business in our life. And it's this idea that there are some things that all of us have shelved at some point that we don't, we're not going to deal with. We've got some stuff up there in that shelf. We're not going to get close to that stuff. We've got a conversation. We've got an email. We've got a payment plan. We've got, um, we've got a credit card. We've got, we've got relationships, we've got a test we have to take, we have a next step we have to move on, and we, we, we've got some stuff that we know that we should have dealt with a long time ago, but it was easier to put it on that shelf. And what we don't realize is the avoidance, the shame, or the defeat wrapped up in that thing on that shelf is seeping over into the rest of our lives, and it's keeping us from the next thing that Jesus has for us. And I think we have to, we have to as followers of Jesus, kind of realize that it's about our active participation. And yes, there are times to wait, but if there's an ever an area of avoidance, man, because of Jesus, we have the ability to move through and move towards that thing in faith. Can you imagine if the man would have just sat outside and thought, well, I didn't make it in. It's not my day. It's not my time. I didn't make it in today, but he didn't. He moved through with active participation. He didn't avoid, he engaged, and, and his faith was active. And there was something about that that moved the heart of Jesus, that Jesus saw, and he said, you are full of faith. You see, as we move in faith, we move closer to the way of Jesus. Jesus has this whole, so, so we've got, we've got the, the man who is paralyzed, and he's got his whole experience. We, we see Jesus, you know, he, he gets lower down um, into the room, and Jesus responds by forgiving him of his sins and by healing him of his physical disability. But while that's happening, this almost parallel story is going on with Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of the law. There's like this whole aside conversation happening. Like Jesus is kind of doing two things, two big things at once. And we see that as as this man gets closer to Jesus, as this story gets closer to Jesus, it gets further away from our own expectations or judgments or what we think it should be. You see, the, what Jesus is doing in this story is he is announcing something new. 
He is demonstrating a new way. He's demonstrating the way of Jesus. He's demonstrating the, the way of the new kingdom, the, the new heaven on earth being ushered in. When he not only heals physical ailments, but he heals sins, he's declaring that he has the authority, he has the victory, and his way is the way. And this is so interesting because it's so countercultural for the Pharisees and for what they expected. You see, um, we, we've been talking about how this man as a paralyzed man, as someone who was viewed as sick, he would have been an outcast. There was a huge crowd here to see Jesus, but there was no one paying attention to this man. He was overlooked. He was messy. He may have been blamed for his physical issue, like it was his fault that he had a physical ailment. And the Pharisees were critiquing Jesus because when they show up and when they're looking for the Messiah, when they're looking for the one who saves, the Pharisees are looking for a certain kind of power. They're not looking for the kind of power that Jesus is demonstrating, dealing with all these people who are lowly, who don't even belong here. No, they're looking for a a certain kind of power. They're looking for a military power. They're looking for a government power. They are looking for a king or a military leader who's going to come in and who's going to sweep his power through the region and is going to change the circumstances for their people. They are not looking for somebody who is elevating the lowly, who is healing the sick, who is forgiving the sins of sinners. They are looking for a certain kind of power. But Jesus is all about doing something new. He's about doing something new. He's about the unexpected. He's about the kingdom. And sometimes as we get closer to what Jesus is doing, we get further away from our own judgments or expectations but we don't want to make any mistake. Whatever Jesus is doing, Jesus is power. And the power that Jesus brings, the way that Jesus brings, this is the way. This is the powerful way. This is, this is where we want to be. This is what we want to be a part of. And I just wonder, I wonder like how we are sometimes like the Pharisees because the Pharisees had a front row seat to the power of Jesus, to the authority of Jesus, to the victory of Jesus, and they weren't experiencing it. It was playing out right in front of them, but they didn't know it. They didn't see it. And I just wonder how we, as also people who know Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are part of the church, who, who have all this knowledge about him, I wonder if there are times that Jesus is acting out his power. He's demonstrating his power, but we can't see it or we can't engage with it because of our own traditions or norms or expectations or judgments. And you see, our faith, it brings us closer to Jesus. And sometimes that means further away from ourselves and our control and our plan and our expectations and how we think it should go. And that was true even for the Pharisees. I was just having a conversation, um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be big things. It's, it's small things, too. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine last week um, who, who attends here. And she was talking about feeling like, well, she first wants to attend the How to Read the Bible class, the How to Read the Bible Haven. And she was saying, I think I should sign up to be a table leader. But, yeah, Leonard's all about that, right? He was like, come on in. And she said, I think I should sign up. And she said, but I don't know. And I said, well, tell me about that. And she said, well, you know, I'm taking this class because I want to learn more about Scripture and more about how to be in the Word. And I also want other people to do that, too. Like, I want to do it as a community. But if I'm a table leader, then, like, I have to be the expert and know everything. And somebody's going to ask me a question, and I might not know how to answer it. And, and so I don't, know if, I don't know if I should do it. I don't know. I don't know if that's me. 
And I thought, isn't it so interesting that somewhere in our brains, we have equated leading to knowing all the right things, doing all the right things, and be ready for any Bible question the second it comes, right? But that's so real. It's so real. I'm trying not to look at you. I know you're mad at me right now, but you got this. So so I said to her, you should absolutely lead. You should totally be a table leader. Yes, you should. We're all telling you right now. I'm so sorry. I'll apologize to you later. I know you're dying. You should do it. Because why? Because if you want to know more about Jesus and you want to do with other people, that is the Jesus way. That is what we are about. And where do we get it? In our brains, we have to be that Bible expert to take a next step towards Jesus. Are you with me this morning, church? Come on. Are we in this together? Faith is active and it moves us towards the way of Jesus. And sometimes that's outside of ourselves and it's outside of what we expect, but it is the way of Jesus and it is good and it is powerful and it is the new kingdom and it is what Jesus came on this earth to do and that he is still doing. And so is there an opportunity for all of us? We don't just want to put her on the, on the, in the hot spot. For all of us, is there a place to step out of ourselves into something new, into something that Jesus is asking us that's maybe outside of the way we thought about things or thought it should go? Because for the paralyzed man, the most important thing was to get to Jesus. And for the Pharisees, they had all the access they wanted, but they couldn't make it to him. They couldn't get to him. They had a front row seat. And it was the paralyzed man that Jesus saw and declared faithful. Not the religious leaders who had all the knowledge and all the experience. It was the paralyzed man. One thing I think that sticks out to me the most about this story that I think just there's a central theme for here that I just want to sit together in for a little while is this idea that faith leads with your need. As we think about moving through opposition, as we think about moving closer to the way of Jesus and further from ourselves, we have to flip our minds and our brains and our hearts and thinking that faith is not about doing all the right things and praying the right prayers and reciting the right Bible verses. It is leading with our need. It is living with a distinction of who Jesus is and who we are not. This man, because of his life experience, can you just, can you just imagine the vulnerability? The vulnerability of someone who, because of norms and society and times, that he was limited to life on his mat. And that his going to and from, his autonomy, was limited to what other people could do for him to the four corners of his mat. Can you imagine just the, the vulnerability of allowing yourself to be lowered into a room that you are not welcome in? Can you imagine the, the risk, the, just the desperation? Because we know when the Pharisees and the religious leaders, when they walked into that room, the atmosphere changed. This was no longer just a crowd gathering to hear Jesus. When they walked in, there was like a reverence there. There was like an astuteness there. They would have, people would have stopped what they were doing, maybe even stood and let the religious leaders pass. And from that moment on, that atmosphere of that room changed. And isn't it so fascinating that where the religious leaders were, the people who needed Jesus were not welcome. Where the religious leaders were, the people who needed Jesus were crowded out. Where the religious leaders were, 
the people who were trying to get to Jesus couldn't reach him. Come on. Where the religious leaders were. And just imagine that man being like, no, I'm not going down like this. We're going we're gonna to do, or the friends, we're not going to let this happen to you. We're going to do something together. And can you imagine just the vulnerability, the risk, the just the unexpected nature of like, well, and other people looking from the outside, what are they doing? What do they think they're going to do? Take those roof tiles off and lower them down? Like, can you just imagine this playing out in real life? And as bystanders, how you would have looked at the situation or what you would have thought about the norms of society during that time. And this got me really thinking about what this, this dichotomy of the man who needed Jesus and of the religious leaders right there with Jesus, this got me really thinking about what that means for us right now in our experience, in our context. Because I think as not even just this church, but I think as like the big C church, the American church, we are not very good at dealing with need. We are not very good with mess. We're not very good with imperfection. We're not very good with authenticity. We can kind of be a mask-wearing, performance-oriented crowd. And I just wonder about this, this idea in this story that where the religious presence was, there wasn't room for the need of Jesus. That, there, that it was a barrier to people experiencing the healing and freedom of Jesus. And I wonder about our spaces, the religious spaces maybe we find ourselves in. Maybe it's this church space. Maybe it's a space that is created by you and your friends who have been in church for a long time. Maybe it's a different kind of a space, but I wonder how we, as people who know Jesus and follow him, how we show up in those spaces. And when we are in those spaces, who we may be crowding out. Or if we crowd out our own need, who gets crowded out because our need isn't welcome there. I think of this experience that I had um, years ago uh, as a teenager. So I grew up at the church. Like, I've always been in church. I'm going to let you in on a little fun fact about Bria. Okay, here we go. So not only was I in church, church was very much a part of my family's life. So my mom and dad were musicians, and they met, um, and so they sing. They sing together. Well, they used to. They used to sing at weddings. And so when we were little... We would, in the 90s, late 80s, travel around with my parents with our portable sound system and sing as a family for special music time in church. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. And we would all be in our perfect little outfits with the ruffles. And my brother, you know, he couldn't sing yet, so he just would recite Bible verses because it was me and my sister. We would carry it. And that, that's literally my life. Like, that's literally why it's not a joke. That's what we did. Like, that was my experience. And then as I grew older, um, my parents led worship at the church that we were attending. And we were like a part of this church. We, we served. We, um, we were in small group with the pastor. Like we were, we were engaged in this community. What people didn't know about us is that all the way through my experience, we just had some difficult family things going on. My dad is a recovering alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. And there were things that my family was not honest about or dealing with and that nobody knew. But yet we did all this stuff all the time that looked really good and religious and right. And there was a specific circumstance, a specific situation. Um, when I was in high school, it was like a low point in the journey 
We lived way out in the country. My dad was on the riding lawnmower. He was intoxicated, and he, it crashed. And we had this, like, creek in the back, and it fell over into the creek. It was, like, this big, scary situation. He was okay, but, it, like, it wasn't okay. And it was, like, my mom kind of got to this point of desperation, of, like, we, we, we can't do this anymore. This isn't working. Like, we've hit a low low. We need help. We need to, like, tell people what's going on. And so my dad's like in bed, still not really coherent. And she calls our pastor, who we knew, who was a friend of ours. It wasn't, but it was someone that we did life with. And he was just kind of confused and didn't really understand what's going on. And he said, can I, can I finish the game before I come? And she was like, no, no, like we need you now. Like this is like a situation. And so he came and I remember as a teenager, I'll never forget. He just looked sort of confused. And he went and talked to my dad for a second and then came out and talked to my mom and was like, you know what, we're just going to, we're just going to like, we're just going to forget about this, okay? We're just going to not talk about it. We're going to move on. Um, We're not going to let anybody know what's happening here. And you guys just got to get it together. We're going to be okay. And he left. And we never talked about it with anybody in that community. And I remember being like, so that's it? Like, Like, that's it? that's all he's got? Like, th- this is all? We just, we just pretend, and we show up on Sunday, and we are dressed the right way, and talk the right way, and behave the right way, and sing the right way, and pray the right way, but this is all happening behind the scenes. This mess is, like, unraveling, and, and that's it? That's all? We just kind of draw a circle around it and walk away. And it wasn't until many, many, many years later, and things actually got worse, before my parents were able to, like, embrace authenticity, before they were able to lead with their need, and before they were able to, to really get help and be authentic by the situation they are in. And my dad is now in recovery, and that is a story for a whole other day that I will tell sometime. And it is a journey. But things got much worse than that before they got better. And I just think about that example as our, our comfort level as Christian people, as church people, with mess and with need and with, with things being not right and, and something needing to come to the surface. And I think, about, I think about what that says about just our traditions and our culture and our norm and how sometimes we can show up like Pharisees in those spaces and how that stops people from getting to Jesus to experience the healing and the freedom and the love and the power that he has to give if we would lead with our need and allow it to be connected to Jesus. But if we aren't able to ever be honest or to talk about or to lower our need right down to the center of the room before Jesus, then we're not able to have him be able to deal with what it is we have to put in front of him. Because let me tell you this morning, church, when you lead with your need and you center your need at the feet of Jesus, whatever it is, he doesn't see your failure and he doesn't see your mess and he doesn't see your sin. He sees the potential for healing and freedom. He sees a child of God who, who ne- he sees himself as Jesus. You are you and he is Jesus. And I think sometimes walking in faith and having faith in Jesus 
Jesus is not about all the things we've made it to be, the right things and the moral things and the perfect things and the performing things. It is about truly living with this distinction of who Jesus is and who we are not. And Jesus is the only one who can save. He is the only one who can forgive. He is the only one who can free, and he is the only one who can heal. And when we live as if that's, we're in charge of that, we are missing on Jesus. And for this man who was paralyzed, the most important thing was to get to Jesus. There was nothing more important. There was nothing that could stop him. He didn't care what people said about him. He didn't care what they thought about him. He didn't care what, what like he didn't care how he looked. He just needed to get to Jesus. And where have we forgotten that, Jesus, that faith is about Jesus and not about us? Where have we forgotten that Jesus is so powerful, has all the authority, has all the victory, that he is still doing miracles? He is still changing lives. He is still freeing and healing people. Where have we forgotten that that is our Jesus? That is our Jesus, and that is our faith. And church, I just think there are things that we are carrying. Maybe your life isn't a hot mess. Great. But I think there are things that we just carry that we hold, that we put on ourselves to figure out, that we blame ourselves for, that we think we have to work it out, we can't let anybody in, that we carry, that Jesus says, bring it to me. That, that's, that's the whole point. That's why I came and did everything I did. Bring me your needs so I can take it off your shoulders. Your job is just to believe. My job is to do the rest. And I wonder if that's how we're actually living today. I wonder if that's actually our experience today. So my question is, what is your need? What is that thing? The thing that you feel stuck in? The thing that you don't want anybody to know? The, the barrier that you have to walk through? The thing that you feel like you may fail in? The, the thing that you're carrying all on your own that you have to solve? Maybe it's that thing that you've already put on the shelf that you are avoiding. But what is that for you today? What is your need? Is it self-preservation? Is it addiction? Is it, is it fear? Is it carrying something on your own? Is it health? I know for me, I'll just start. I'll just start. We're not going to all do it out loud, but I'll do it for you. For me, in this season of my life, I'm just going to say I am at capacity like I have never been before. I have to-do lists and in every single area that week after week, I can just never get done over and over and over again. I'm trying to balance being a mom and a pastor and just being myself. And all that to say, we're going to have another baby in July. And I have just never, never, just super exciting. But also, I just haven't been here before. And it's so uncertain. And I have never felt more kind of out of control of my life or not sure how things are going to play out or not sure how to solve it. And I don't want to tell anybody that because I am the woman who's the campus pastor. And that's a new thing for me, and it's a new thing for a lot of people. And I don't know a lot of people who do this and have a baby and have a, have a family and do all of it. And then I don't really know how it's going to work. And if I say that I don't know, then what are you going to think about me? And then no one can know that I don't know because I'm the pastor, right? You're with me. You all know. But you know what? I think my story of this is a story that I'm living, and I'm just going to live it until God gives me a new one, okay? And, and the most important thing is just living it for whatever he needs, I'll do, right? And I'll trust that. 
But I got to be honest about my story because I know that's somebody else's story too. And I don't want to be up here and everybody think, well, how does she do it? And how does that, and it just looks easy. And it all works out. It is a hot mess on some days, especially Sundays, y'all. Especially so, let's get to get real. But I know that if I start, if I lead with my need, that's going to give someone else permission to lead with their need. And they're going to resonate with it. And then it just destroys this whole feeling that we've built up in ourselves that leaders are perfect and that they, they've got it all worked out and they've got it together because they don't. And we don't. And we as a church and as followers of Jesus need to not be about having it all together, but putting Jesus in the place where he puts it together. Okay? That's what we got to be about. And we got to do it together. So you got to lead with your need and you got you to gotta walk your need right up into that top of that roof and pull off those tiles and you got to lower it down to the feet of Jesus. Whatever it takes, you got to get that to the feet of Jesus. Because listen to me, your need today is your testimony tomorrow. Your need today is your testimony tomorrow because what did Jesus do? Jesus healed that man. He healed him and he said, get up and walk. Get up. You take, I love this part, you take the mat, that four corners that defined your need, that defined your dependence, and you pick it up and you walk it on out of here. And what happened? You can put those verses up, Linda. What happened? Jesus said, I say to you, rise. And amazement seized all the people. I'm sorry, I'm going too quick. Amazement seized all the people and they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things. Listen to me, when we take our need to Jesus in faith, we allow our need to become our testimony of who Jesus is and to give him glory and to share more of his name. And that's what people need is the healing and freedom and the love of Jesus. And so when we do that, Jesus is glorified. His name is known. The way of Jesus spreads. The way of Jesus comes and, and camps out in this little corner of earth. And that is what this is about. It is about the name of Jesus and the glory of Jesus. And if our faith is active, if it moves through opposition, if it moves us closer to the way of Jesus and we lead with our need, Jesus' name is made famous and great and he is glorified. And church, that's what the story is about. And it goes over and over and over again. Your need today is your testimony tomorrow in Jesus because of who he is. So what is it that you are believing for but not moving towards? What is that need for you, the need that you feel maybe defines you, that need that, um, that, you, that maybe you don't want anyone to know? How can you walk it out? How can you walk out your faith in belief that when your need gets to Jesus, he is able to do all there is to do, and he's going he's gonna to take it to a place that nobody could have ever taken it before. I mean, what Jesus did for that man changed the whole tra trajectory of his entire life. It changed everything in a moment, and it came out of a place of vulnerability, out of a place of risk, and out of a place of dependence. I think some of the most the powerful things we can do when we think about leading with our need and we think about what that actually means is being honest in ourselves what, what our need really is and then finding someone else to be honest with that about. I think sometimes that's the first step in being able to lead with our need and to being able to engage in faith, to be, to be able to bring it to Jesus in a, in a holistic way. I think there's a us in Jesus and then there's a us in community. And community is a big part of the story. 
community is a, is a big part of this story because it was the, the men who were friends with the man who was paralyzed, who also participated in faith, who believed for him, who walked for him, who carried him, who didn't let him be left out. And I think faith, this part of faith is leading with need. It's about us and Jesus, but it's also about community. And I wonder when we aren't able to, to recognize our need or lead with our need, I wonder who we are crowding out because we are essentially showing that need is unwelcome. And who sees that and thinks, well, then I'm not welcome. Well, if, if, if that's not where I'm at. So I for sure, the gap is so big now, I'm not welcome there. And I wonder who we may be crowding out with our judgments or our expectations of how following Jesus should be, how a church community should be, how things should look. That when we show up with those things over our own need and our dependence on Jesus, we, we crowd out need in our space. We crowd out dependence. And when we do that, we crowd out Jesus. We crowd out the experience of him. And so this morning, that's why I think it's such an important conversation is to really just identify in ourselves, man, what is it for me? And when I get honest about my own stuff, how does that make space for somebody else's stuff and somebody else's journey, somebody else's transformation, somebody else knowing Jesus? And so we are about to enter into communion. And I honestly think it was just so beautiful that communion landed on this Sunday because it will be an opportunity for us as a community to participate in leading with our need. The communion table is all about reflecting on who Jesus is, what he did for us. And when we come to the table together, we recognize and we remember that Jesus is our sustainer. When we engage in, I love people are passing out the little cups. This is so good. When we engage in the eating and the drinking, we are physically reminded of our need for Jesus. That he broke his body and he gave of his blood so that we could be filled and we could be satisfied. It's essentially this practice for us to gather around this imaginary table together to come as we are, to come with what we have, to come with our, our, um, our failed hopes, our missed dreams, our mess, our difficulty, our stuff, and to bring it right to the feet of Jesus, to remember what he did on this earth, on the cross, what God did when he raised Jesus from death to life, the, the power, the Holy Spirit power that we have when Jesus ascended into heaven, that the same power that Jesus demonstrated on earth is available to us in him. And we remember, we make space for each other. We leave a seat at the table in our need together, not to come and have it all figured out, but to remember that we don't and that we need Jesus, our sustainer, our provider, our healer, our comforter, that ultimately we need him. He is the only one that can satisfy. He is the bread of life. And so we're first gonna um, open the little bread section here. And in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's eat together.
then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Father, you are present with us this morning. You see every person, you see every part, you see our hearts, you see our minds, you know whatever it is that's coming to the surface in this moment. You know whatever it is that we're trying to maybe crowd out. You know whatever it is that we put on that shelf. You know what it is that we are believing for but haven't moved towards. You know, you know what it is. And Lord, as we recognize and remember who you are, who you've been, who you will be, we pray that you as, our, as the one who satisfies, the one who meets every need, that you would be so present in our hearts that that would be our Jesus today. We pray that you would show us what it means to move through opposition, to be active, to participate in our faith, to move closer to your way and to lead with our need. We're so grateful that by the life that you led, by the ways of the kingdom, you gave so much permission for need and for mess. We just ask forgiveness, God, for the times that we try to carry our own burdens, for the times that we try to solve our own problems, for the times that we take on what is yours. And we pray that you would just place in us just a desperate desire to get to you, that nothing else matters, nothing else can get in the way, but, but just to get to you, that you would help us to believe so that you can do everything else, so that you can make a way so that you can move through, so that you can defeat the obstacles, so that you can bind up every enemy, every lie, every distraction. We pray that we would live with the distinction of who you truly are and who we are not. And that would be what defines our faith. Forgive us, see us, cleanse us, heal us. Thank you that this story is not over. Thank you that it's never too late. Thank you that you are moving and working, that your kingdom is alive and that it is coming near to earth and that it is for us, that we can experience it and that it is for this world. Thank you that you are a God of upside down values, that in your kingdom, the lowly are lifted up, the ones in chains are released, the, the sick are healed, the marginalized are elevated. Jesus, thank you, that is who you are. Our hope is in you pray that whatever happens at this moment, your Holy Spirit would just move among your people and that you would um, not uh, allow this experience to stay in this room, but that it would overflow into our weeks, into our lives, into our relationships, into the places that we go, and that our need would become our testimony in you. We love you so much. We believe you are who you say you are, and we believe you will do what you say you will do. Amen and amen and amen. Oh, church, it's good to be together at the feet of Jesus. It is good to be together in the hope of Jesus. Why don't you all stand with me? I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for this, this little community in our little corner of the world and for what God is doing and teaching us and continues to do. Hey, so we are still in the book of Luke. This is our job this week. We gotta believe God, but we also gotta get in the word. So we are asking everybody to follow us on social. Um, read the next chapter, which is, is it chapter, is it five? 
Five, yes. So read chapter five. You'll get to read through what we talked about today. Find somebody, make that connection, find some community, get real if you're you're brave enough. And if you need another minute, that's okay too. You'll, You'll find your time, but let's do this together. Love you guys. Grace and peace. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.